Thanks, Beth. Brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Let me just pray for us before we, we, go, we unpack it. Father, once again, we, we thank you, as has already been said, that we're found here this morning. What a privilege it is, Lord, to know you and to have your word. Lord, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us and you revealed your character and your nature, not only in, in your son, Jesus Christ, but also through your word. And uh, Lord, again, I just pray this morning that uh, we may be built up, we may be encouraged, Lord. We don't, we've all come with different weeks, um, but I pray that you'll touch us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point in his ministry, Jesus, as we've seen, is mobbed now wherever he goes, okay? And as he's walking to Jairus' house after hearing news of um, his daughter, this is no different. But following him, verse 25 tells us, was also a woman. And, the, and, the, and the, this woman, the verse goes on to tell us, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, we're not told exactly what is the cause of this bleeding. However, the consensus, if you like, is that this bleeding is most likely caused by a menstrual disorder, okay? And tragically, this bleeding has not been happening for one or two months or one or two years, but 12 years she's been tormented with this condition. And verse 26 tells us that not only has she suffered through the actual bleeding itself, take a look, it says, she has also suffered much under many doctors, or my version has many physicians. So in the pursuit of actually trying to make herself better, she's actually got worse. You know, there's a book uh, called the Talmud, and it was known as the centerpiece and the guide um, for Jewish society, of daily life in a Jewish society. And interestingly, in the Talmud, it lists 11 cases or 11 cures for this specific illness. Some of these were potions, but others were purely, if you like, superstitious rubbish. Let me give you an example. In one place, it says this. Take the gum of Alexandria, whatever that is, okay? The weight of a small silver coin. Let them be bruised together. Wine to the woman who has an issue of blood. And it says, if this does not benefit, take Persian onions, three pints, okay? Boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux, whatever that means as well, okay? If this does not cure her, all right? Set her in a place, not going good, is it? Okay. Set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let find her and frighten her, okay? So this was the kind of rubbish, all right? This was the daily, if you like, cures for this situation. You know, it reminds me, I mean, here, so I've got to be careful. When we had earache growing up, Cal, do you remember this? We had to put salt in a sock and put it on our ear. I don't, I don't know what that did, to be honest, Dob. So I don't know if you still use that, I don't know. But um, anyway, surprisingly, none of those potions or cures had helped this woman. In fact, you know, it made her worse, the text tells us. So not only was she tormented by the illness, 
not only she'd been tormented by the physicians, she'd also been tormented financially. In the, in the middle of verse 26, it said, she has spent all she has. Okay? So again, at the end of verse 26, it reads, doesn't it, for a sad conclusion. Look at it. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So again, instead of getting better, instead of improving, her condition is going the other way. It's deteriorating even after 12 years. You know, we're not told as well explicitly here in the text, but also this had massive, her uncleanliness, if you like, or her issue caused massive social ramifications as well for her. Her illness would have made her an outcast in her society. In the law of Moses, in chapter 15 of Leviticus, it has a whole chapter uh, devoted, if you like, to, to bodily discharges. Verse 19 says that, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all those days, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. And verse 26 says, and whoever touches these things as well, she'll be unclean. So again, bearing in mind for this lady, it wasn't days, was it? It was years, years. And this, this condition didn't just affect her. It affected how she interacted in society as well. Again, she, made, she had the potential of making other people unclean. You know, and we, we spoke last week, didn't we, about, about the potential history of that man who, who, was, who was tormented by those demons. And, and, you know, who knows, again, if this woman, before all this, most likely would have been just a normal functioning member of society. So for 12 years, again, not only did she have to deal with the pain of her condition, but also the shame of what it brought for her. So again... In Mark here, we have, a, we have another case, don't we? Another desperate person, seemingly without any hope. The disciples in the boat who are about to perish. The man with the legion of demons cutting himself with stones and crying out night and day. And now we have, again, this poor woman. But, verse 27 offers us a flicker of hope. Take a look. She had heard reports about Jesus. Okay? So now what happens is hope is beginning to stir for this woman. She had heard reports about this man that he had possessed, again, as we've seen, this incredible power and authority. She'd heard reports, she must have heard reports, that others had touched him and been made clean. So why not me? You know, she's thinking, if Jesus can do it for others, why can't he do it for me as well? So let's have a look at what happens next. Look at the end of verse 27. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments but she said, even if I touch his garment, I will be made well. First off, what amazing courage this woman has. 
Again, we've, we found, haven't we, that a touch from this woman would be a big no-no for anyone in that society. Again, a touch from her is the last thing a person wants. And she knows this as well. So rather than confront Jesus head on, what she does, she sneaks around the back of him and says, I'll just touch his garment. That's what I'll do. In Luke's, Matthew's and Luke's version, it says that he, she touched even the fringe of his garment. How amazing is that? She didn't touch his, boom, it was, I'll just touch the fringe of it. See, she had so much faith that even, she even believed that a minimal degree of touch would be enough. That'll be enough. And what happened, verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So at a, at a, at a molecular level, if you like, a miracle's now taken place. The blood has dried up. This one thing the woman I've been searching for for 12 years happened in an instant. The cure that many physicians, if you like, could not offer, all this money that she spent was provided in a moment by touching the fringe of the garment of Jesus Christ. Who is this man? Again, that's the, that's the theme that I've mentioned, isn't it? Bubbling underneath all of these passages. Who is he? That even a touch of his garment can heal this woman. But next, with something that is seemingly very strange regarding Jesus' power. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who's touched my garments? Again, on the surface, this seems, doesn't it, like a real strange thing to read. Knowing what we know about Jesus, who he is. It's like Jesus is an iPhone or something, doesn't he have to be charged up? Like he needs to be plugged in. Jesus, who is all-knowing, appears to be unaware of what's happening around him. So it's an unusual expression. It's actually only found here in Mark's gospel. But what's happening here? I just want to spend a few moments, so just listen carefully, because I think it highlights an important detail, if you like, about the nature of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it helps us, actually, if we go all the way back to his baptism. At this event, something happened which we often forget about, about Jesus' ministry. You see, what's happening at his baptism is from that point onwards in his earthly ministry, he's saying, I'm going to fully submit to both his heavenly Father's will and to the Spirit's leading. All right? This is why when we're at his baptism, we hear the Father's voice saying this, with you, I am well pleased. What, what's he pleased about? It's his son submitting to his will, all right? But also, do you remember what immediately happens after his baptism? It says at once the Spirit leads him into the desert, okay? So again, what we have at the start of Jesus' ministry is a complete submission to both the Father's will and also to the Spirit's leading, all right? So Jesus possesses the power of God, but it's the Father, if you like, who remains in control. Does that make sense? 
Now let me explain why that helps us understand here what's going on. You see, the healing of this woman is the Father's decision to demonstrate his power, which is active in Jesus. I'll say that again. The healing of this woman is the heavenly, heavenly Father's decision to demonstrate his power, which is active in Jesus. Jesus says this, doesn't he remember this? Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. This is again this submission to the Father's will. It's God the Father who knows about this woman, who sees this woman, who has compassion on this woman, who has mercy on this woman, and who honours her faith. You see, Jesus, look, is not, he's not a shrine. Jesus is not a shrine. You don't go and touch him and everything's made well. Anyone can come up. The decision to heal this woman is that the father's, sorry, the, the woman's healed by the father's decision. That's why Jesus says, who's touched me? Who's touched me? And the disciples obviously respond with, are you mad? We're in a crowd. Everyone's touching you. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. But you see, what Jesus is saying in essence is this. I know many people are touching me, but only one is touching me in faith. That's what he's saying. Who's, who's touched me? Is that clear? Good. Again, it reveals something important about Jesus' ministry, that he was obedient to the Father's will. And again, we see this in Philippians 2. Even to the cross, wasn't he? It says, he humbled himself became a servant even to death on the cross anyway so i think that helps that but let's go back to the passage finally we have a direct encounter now jesus has turned he knows this woman between jesus and this woman verse 32 and he looked around to see who had done it but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth again the courage of this woman is on display. She didn't run off. For her, again, it was a costly confession, wasn't it? Not only to speak in a, in a crowd like this, but also, the, again, the subject of what she's speaking on, the shame there. But Jesus could not allow this woman to leave without meeting her. You see, this again tells us something interesting. Jesus is interested, not in, he knows the power of God. He's interested, isn't he? in relationship that's what he's interested in and she receives not a telling off but a warm appreciation listen to this verse 34 is it on there do you feel sorry he said to her daughter i love that daughter not woman daughter you see by calling her this any fears she had trembling gone daughter what he said to her he says your faith has made you well it wasn't magic that healed her it was her faith in this man that she had heard reports about it's fascinating isn't it can you remember what jesus said to the disciples on the boat when they were terrified and after he calmed the storm he said to them Where's your faith? Disciples, super apostles, followers of Jesus. Where's your faith? 
And he found it in this woman. He finds faith in this one woman. Again, that faith that he's searching for in his disciples, here it is. Again, folks, Jesus is not some magician doing magic tricks by some secret power. But Mark's gospel will go on to reveal that he is God's son. The one through whom God is establishing his kingdom. A kingdom without storms. A kingdom without spiritual powers that can harm us. A kingdom without illness. And a kingdom without death. You see... It was her grasp of Christ through faith that healed her, not her hand. Her touch, if you like, brought two key elements together, faith and Jesus. That's what made it effective. It wasn't even the strength of her faith that made her well. It was the object of her faith. It was who she had that faith in. Jesus says to her, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Again, that which she sought for 12 years, she now has peace. It's a great passage, isn't it? Again, so much to learn from it. But for the remaining time we have now, I just want to, again, I want to focus on these two elements. Faith and Jesus. Very simple, okay? Also, I'm hoping to demonstrate how 2,000 years later, those two elements are still crucial for us today, okay? We don't grow, outgrow our need, okay, to express faith. We don't move past that. If you've been a Christian for one month or you've been a Christian for 50 years, you never outgrow your need to express faith in Jesus Christ, ever, until we leave this earth, okay? But first off, before we... What we need to do, I think, is to define what we mean when we speak of as faith. I think that's key. You see, there are two general ways in which our society defines faith. The first one isn't biblical, and the second one is. The first type of faith in our society is what's known as blind faith. Okay? So in our society, when a, when a person, if they like, says, expresses faith, it's to make a leap into the unknown. It's kind of going like, okay, we're just going to hope. That's what they're trying to do. That type of faith, folks, is found nowhere in the Bible. All right, that's the world's, one of the world's definition of faith. Faith in the Bible is not wishful thinking, okay? And we get confused, I think, sometimes when we hear faith in our culture and we think, oh, is that the faith of the Bible? It's not the same, all right? But there is another type of faith as well, one in which we do see in the Bible. It's that type of faith that we place in an object or in a person. And we all use this type of faith in one way or another. For example, when we're sick and we go to the hospital or the doctors or the pharmacy where Jill works, um, we put our faith and trust in doctors, don't we? That they're able to diagnose our problem. And for the majority of time, that faith, if you like, is rewarded and we recover from whatever illness we may have. But we also can put our faith in things and and people, again, to help us through difficult circumstances. However, there are cases, aren't there, naturally in in our everyday life where the object of that faith may be misguided 
or sometimes the location of that faith doesn't uh, reward us in the way that we hope. Or and what happens? Our trust diminishes. Our, our, it breeds anxiety. It breeds fear. Now, this is what's happened to this lady in our passage. Okay, she had trusted in the medical opinions of her day in, the, in this book and things like that, only to be let down time and time again. But again, listen. This is what's interesting. The problem was not her faith, actually. What have we seen? The problem was the object of that faith. That was the issue. What she was putting her faith in. You see, what she needed was somebody who could heal her absolutely. And amazingly, when all this hope had seemed to pass, the text said again, she heard reports about Jesus. Maybe she'd heard about the demon-possessed man in Mark one, uh, chapter 1 or the passage last week. Maybe she'd heard about how Jesus spent the night at the house of Simon, where it said the whole city were gathered and he healed many who were sick. Maybe she heard how Jesus had been moved by a leper who came to him, uh, kneeling in front of him and asking for, if he's willing, will you heal him? Maybe she'd heard about how Jesus had healed a paralytic who walked out the house, with his mat under his arm. Who knows exactly what it was? But no doubt it was these kind of reports that had reached this woman's ear. You see, folks, listen, it's hearing about Jesus that puts this whole event into motion. That's the key. That was the trigger that provoked her faith. And listen, it's still the same today. You know, the first step often in, in, in the journey of coming to Christ, isn't it through often hearing it through other people, from other sources, friends, workmates, colleagues, whatever it'll be, family. I'm sure we've all got a testimony like that. I've heard reports of this man that he's changed this person's life. That's what happens. It puts the whole event into motion. How does faith come? Anyone know? My wife should know, because I've got to put it on her, her iPod case, actually, this verse. It's right nice. Romans ten seventeen says, Paul writes, faith comes through hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ, or synonymous, the word of God. This is the fuel, if you like, for faith. It comes through our hearing. It's how God has ordained it to be. This is how God has ordained it to be. What's he, what does Matthew say in, in, sorry, what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? Go and tell. Go. Tell them. There's a massive lesson there for us, isn't there, I think. We should never be afraid to tell people about Jesus. You see, we might be shamed for the gospel. You probably will be. But you never have to be ashamed of the gospel. Ever. God, I'm sure, will bring people into your path whose only hope, and their only hope, is Christ, okay? We need to be sure, don't we, to offer him to them. And who knows, it might provoke faith in them. What an example I think this woman is for us. We must remember that trust in Jesus is enough. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. Who does, okay? 
Interestingly, she came to him because all she wanted was her health back. That's what she wanted. She didn't care especially about Jesus per se, okay? And this is so typical, actually, the beginning of faith. Many of us come to him simply out of need. We tried everything else. We tried all the world offers us. We tried drink. We tried whatever. We tried it all. But, we, but now we come to Christ. When he touches us, we go on to love him, don't we? And trust him with our lives. You know, it's been well said, and I love this quote. God honours the needle of truth in the haystack of error. I love that. And I want to add to it. God honours the needle of faith in the haystack of uncertainty as well. He'll honour that, whatever it is. This woman is an example. She understood enough from the report she had of him. That was enough. Even though her faith was maybe uninformed, real, and Christ honoured her. Jesus says, doesn't he, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You see, it's that childlike faith that God seeks. No proud man or woman has ever entered the kingdom of heaven. We must all come, he tells us, like children, humbly. You see, the issue is not only that Jesus offers us healing with our specific illnesses, but at this stage as well, he's also en route to, to the cross to deal with our much bigger issue. Our bigger issue is sin. This is the source of all sickness. You see, it isn't the cause, sorry, sin is the cause of all pain and disease in the world. It is sin, again, that we owe to every disease, every sickness, etc. Hospitals are full because of sickness, for sure. But sickness is the effect of sin, not the cause of it. Sorry, sickness is the effect of sin, yeah, not the cause of it. And actually, this poor woman represents all of humanity, all of us. We're all ill, really. And every day, again, I've just mentioned, we're bombarded with resources that are, that are seeking to remedy us. We're told, if you like, not to have faith in Jesus, but to have faith in ourselves. That's the, that's the current message of the age, isn't it? Believe in yourself. Trust in your own heart. Trust yourself. Friends, the Bible says the opposite. What's it say? It says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your heart, trust the Lord with all your heart. Again, it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. It's Jesus Christ. Some of you may know more than this woman, more information in your head about who Jesus is. But I want to ask you a question. Have you truly touched him in faith? Christianity is not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. It's about do we know who he is in here? Finally, I want to be finishing here, I promise. For those of us who have made that initial step, maybe a, a challenge for us, isn't it, is to, to relearn again the power of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to underestimate it. The disciples have forgot it, so can we. But let's use this woman as an example 
that before we lay, try and lay hold of something else or something, someone else, to first lay hold of our Saviour, to go to him first in prayer, through his word, in fellowship. That's what the text, that's why this text is in this Bible, okay? It's to prompt our faith. That's why it's here. How do Christians live the Christian life? How do we get through? How does it happen? Paul again says, not by sight, but by faith. In letters to his Galatians, he goes even further. He says, listen, this is the Apostle Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the great Apostle Paul. That's how he lived a life. How are we living this life? Folks, by faith we begin our Christian journey. By faith we live our Christian journey. By faith we stand in our Christian journey. By faith we'll overcome in our Christian journey. And by faith we will end our Christian journey. That's it. So don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate the power of faith in Christ. That's it. Two elements. Faith, Christ. Together. Again, the Bible is not talking about wishful thinking. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's not blind faith that our culture talks about. It's belief and trust in Jesus Christ. All right? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we all see in our lives daily how we fail to express this faith. And you know this, Lord. You know this. And we thank you for this story here uh, of this woman. Lord, what an example she is to us. Help us to, uh, to learn to, to, to live by faith, as Paul says. Again, we struggle. We thank you for your mercy that it's new every morning. Lord, help us not to underestimate it. Help us to come to you first, above everything else, to not lean on our understanding. When we're faced with trials, when we're faced with temptations, when we're faced with anxiety, when we're faced with fear, help us, Lord, to put our faith in you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray, uh, even this week, that we could start to implement this, start to make it a discipline and routine for our lives. And I just thank you, Lord. I pray for those as well who maybe are yet to, to make that grasp, if you like. Lord, I pray that you will come and meet them. I ask in your precious name. Amen.